Well, good morning, Mercy Hill. Uh, this morning, by way of introduction for our passage, I would ask a show of hands, but this feels like a rhetorical question, so I won't. But safe to assume most of us at one point, if not currently, have gone through some form of suffering. Yes? Um, whether that suffering is self-inflicted, whether it's inflicted by something outside of us, we all experience this. Um, so, part of the reason why I asked that question is because there must be some sort of reason why we continue to move on and to move forward even through our suffering. And I ask you that and I tell you this because my experience uh, in life has been endured some suffering and part of my desire to help those who experience suffering it was to become a mental health counselor. I think I've told you all this before. Um, but the experience of a mental health counselor goes something like this. You go through school, you learn about all the different ways to treat individuals, and you learn all the different types of treatment styles, uh, things that need to be treated, how to recognize them. And then you go out into the field after passing some form of licensing exam, and you have this broad ability to see many different things. But as a counselor, for myself, I found myself being drawn to the treatment of uh, not only severe, but severe tra uh, traumatic-related disorders or trauma-related disorders. And I made this sort of my niche, my corner, what I focused primarily on. Uh, when I was mental health counseling. And I remember, I tell you all of this, this is lots of context for just this one little nugget. Uh, but I tell you that to tell you this, in one of my trainings, I remember one of the people that I was, that was doing our training in how we treat uh, trauma was that counselors, we need, as counselors, we need to see ourselves as uh, hope dealers dealers of hope because people experience some very horrible things um, and they need to know that there's hope and so as counselors our job was seen as hope dealers and in the same sense as those who present the word of God I believe uh, the job of those individuals is to also deal in hope now this is also obviously where counseling, at least in the secular world, will fall short, is that the greatest hope that we have is not man-made and is not within ourselves, but our greatest hope is what we are going to talk about today. Today we are going to be in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, and I remember in uh, preparation for this, uh, it, the thought had never crossed my mind until it was brought to me this idea that many theologians and people will use this passage as an argument or as fact for whether uh, end times, the day of the Lord will be either 
what they argue premillennialism, postmillennialism, or amillennialism. And so as you were going through this week and you were reading this chapter in the reading plan and you were thinking, man, I can't wait to hear about eschatology and those things, brothers and sisters, this is not that day. We are not going to be discussing that. Uh, but I do want to just talk a little bit last week uh, because this chapter and last chapter uh, in chapter 4 last week with Taylor are very similar, um, very well tied together. Taylor talked about our sanctification process, primarily looking at uh, sexual immorality, uh, what it means to be holy. Uh, Paul talked to Thessalonians in chapter 4 about this is the will of God that you be sanctified. Uh, again, sanctification meaning holiness. And then he makes this transition into uh, the day of the Lord at the end of chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in chapter 5 uh, this morning. And you can really, this chapter breaks down pretty simply uh, into two parts. Uh, there is the truth, and then there is our response to the truth. So why don't we read the first couple verses here in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says this, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. You are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one, build one another up, just as you are doing. This section of Scripture, Paul is going to start with the most important piece of this chapter. And that is that the day of the Lord is going to come. To use the analogy, he goes directly, uses the sharpest tool possible, uses the dagger, um, and goes for the heart and says that this day is going to come and there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of we don't really have time for pleasantries. We're almost at the end of the letter and now here is, here is our hope. And our hope is that the day of the Lord is going to come and we are to always be on our toes. And he uses this great metaphor, the analogy of uh, dark versus light, night versus day, uh, and we'll get into that. But there's also this sense of 
for the non-believers, justice will be upon them, and justice will be upon them swiftly uh, when they do not know that it is coming. There is going to be no escape for those who do not believe in Christ. There is going to be no escape for those uh, who do not have faith in Christ alone. It says specifically, people are saying that there is peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Many people are very willing to build their security and their safety in the things of this world. We build it in our money or our status, our jobs, whatever it is, we always want to feel secure. And to the non-believer who does not have their security put in Christ, they will put their security in those things, but then swiftly it will pass away. Now he uses the analogy of the labor pains of a woman. And I will tell you this, I have never experienced the labor pains that women experience when giving childbirth. But I will tell you this, I have experienced my hand being squeezed by a woman experiencing the labor pains of giving birth. And it is very unpleasant. All of that to say, our security, our faith, our peace and security, essentially, is in Christ alone. He is our hope, and even to take it another step further, our hope is in the day of the Lord. And there is a sense of urgency that we are to be doing something, that we're not just supposed to sit idly by as we wait for this day. And we'll talk more about that when we move forward. But again, our hope is on this day. Uh, Our security is in Christ, and that security will never be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. It will be the thing that does, in fact, do the destroying. And as to the mystery of when... Paul addresses that when he says, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Of course, it doesn't matter. The time, the season, the day does not matter because as we get into this in the text, uh, on the second sort of half, our response to this truth, as we get into it, Paul will give very specific instructions on how we are to to, to wait urgently and, and with anticipation for the return of Christ. Uh, so the time doesn't necessarily matter. For example, if you knew in three months that Christ was returning, or if you knew it, that Christ was returning in three months, what would you do? You're called, and we'll see this later, we're called to do specific things. So whether you know it's tomorrow or whether you know it's in 10 years, it doesn't matter the day because the charge remains the same. We, we build, we have this anticipation of the, 
the return of Christ. This is, again, it's, it's, it's mildly urgent, the things that we're to do. And we will get into that. It's urgent that we are doing something and not waiting idly by, I guess. Um, so I often think of like when I was younger, so I had three brothers uh, and a mom who was able to handle four boys, so she's a saint in and of her. Just that alone. But she would tell us when she was frustrated with us, go upstairs, clean your room, and I'll be up at some point to make sure it's clean enough. If it's not, then punishment would, would ensue after that. So there was a very speedily walk to the room, and there wasn't a waiting for, well, maybe I should get some things done, or maybe... I wasn't willing to play that game because I knew the punishment that came had I not. The room didn't meet the standard. It's the same way here as we wait for the Lord on his return. We are to be doing things. Paul has charged us, and we will talk into this later. Uh, we are to be children of the day. We are to be of the light. We are to be sober-minded. The best illustration, and I know... Um, way to do this is if we actually look back in uh, Matthew 25. So Matthew 20, you can turn there, you don't have to uh, if you'd like to though. Matthew 25, just the first 10 verses, uh, the parable of the 10 virgins. It says this, and the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no no, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough uh, for, for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came to those who were ready, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins all came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered them, he, but he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. It's very much the same in that picture. The day of the Lord is going to come and we are to be ready. We are to be making ourselves prepared for Him. There is a sense of urgency. And so, as we look a little bit further into this metaphor and that Paul has created this day versus night, um, light versus dark. There's a couple things that we do need to get at our base. First is that sleep, the word sleep, used in verse 6, 7, and 10, used three different times, but it has three different meanings. So I want to define what those are for you so that there's an understanding of what this passage means. When Paul says in verse 6, So then let us not sleep 
as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Sleep here is used metaphorically um, and is in reference to a moral indifference or moral ignorance. So let us not be morally indifferent or morally ignorant. Let us be aware of our spiritual needs. In verse 7, he says, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. This is a literal term for sleep, which means to actually be asleep. And then in verse 10, he says, uh, Who died for us so that whether we are asleep or we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. Uh, sleep in this context meaning dead. So alive being, or awake being alive, asleep being dead. So just wanted to make sure that we're here. Uh, but we are called to live a life of uh, self-control, moral sobriety. We are not to be of the night. We are to be of the day. There is no, we have no excuse for spiritual ignorance, right? Um, we are aware of our sin, excuse me, uh, and we are to be comforted and the fact that Jesus has taken that for us. But we are to always be preparing for the return of the Lord. This is, um, this is our call. This is our sanctification process. This is us being separated, is that we are to be sober-minded and sharp, preparing always. We are not destined for wrath, but we are destined for salvation through Jesus Christ. So the question then becomes, how do we do this? How do we prepare? How do we remain sober-minded? Right? Paul continues with the metaphor when he says that uh, in verse... Eight, starting in 8, he says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, uh, for the helmet hope of salvation. You see, we protect our hearts and our love for Christ with a breastplate, naturally. And so we are to protect our love of Christ with our faith and love of Him. We are to guard our minds when any doubt comes with the hope of salvation. And so it becomes a question then, individually, for each person to answer on their own, is this morning, do we operate in the night or do we operate during the day? Have you been in a place of sobriety and being sharp-minded, preparing yourself or has it just been not so much more sort of a, an indifference it's a question to ask yourself because it becomes a question of commitment are you committed are we committed totally and utterly to Christ You see in verse 10, 
it says, who died, referencing Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You see, Christ died for us. Gave up his life so that we may be with him. Out of no other reason than the fact that he loved us and extended grace. It is because of that is why we don't operate in the dark. It is why we are to be children of the light. Because of his graciousness. Now, I say this understanding that uh, this is a battle every day. This is something that we must do. And this is why Paul ends this section saying, encourage one another and build one another up. Because if we're spending time tearing one another down, we're only making it more difficult for everyone else to remain children of the light. We make it difficult for ourselves. And so we have this great imagery, we have these uh, great metaphors, but then the question becomes, how does this practically look? So, let's read starting in verse 12. It says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and esteem them, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from from, evil. from every form of evil. Now may the Lord, may the God and peace, uh, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you to be faithful, He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with the holy kiss, and put. I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Uh, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It's, It's pretty practical. It's pretty literal. It is laid out directly in front of you. Um, Respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them highly in love because of their work. Are we doing these things? Are we at a place where we respect those who labor over us? Or respect those who labor in the Lord who are over us? Even when they admonish us, they warn us, or they uh, correct us. These are honest questions to ask ourselves. 
Are we at peace with one another? When was the last time that you decided that an argument wasn't really worth having? Why do we argue and fight with one another over things that have so little importance? It's a valid question. I mean, I will be the first to raise my hand when somebody wants to come for an argument. But at the same time, if, it, if it's not concerning or not being at peace with my brother in Christ, then it's most likely something I should avoid. Admonish the idle. Warn those who are idle. Able-bodied people. When was the last time that we admonished somebody who decided that they didn't want to help, that they didn't want to work, that they wanted to remain idle? And I realize it's 2022. Not everybody has to go out like they did in Paul's time and physically labor. When was the last time that we admonished or tried to motivate somebody who just really was not in the mood to go do anything? Encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. I'm sure everybody in here can think of somebody who at one time or another was feeling faint-hearted or lacking possibly some faith or struggling. When was the last time we reached out to help somebody like that? Be patient with them. You see, all of these things, people always are saying, well, I'm not sure what is the Lord's will for me. This is it right here. This is pretty plain and simple. Make sure no one repays evil with evil. When was the last time that uh, you made sure no one repaid evil with evil? When was the last time that I made sure I didn't repay evil with evil, right? We do these things not because it gets us anything. We do these things because we are told to do them. We do them out of love because as Paul showed us in verse 9, in verse 10, 9 and 10, that Jesus died for us. That he extended his salvation and His grace was extended to us. That's why we do these things, right? It's not that it's out of pain that I do them. I do them out of love. It's why I don't repay evil with evil, or I try not to, right? We don't all do this perfectly. You want to know how to keep your oil lamps burning till the day of the Lord? Here you go. It's very simple. Paul plays this out. And 
So we have, we have, in this list, we have basically two lists. You have this list that we just went over that are more external, right? They are my interactions with people, right? They are byproducts, or they are the fruit, right? But Paul will also address the, the root, right? So the whole root to fruit thing that I know that uh, Eric is always talking about. So verse 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in, in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. There's the root. Right? These are the internal conditions that need to be right if I'm going to have these external conditions be part of my regular day. Think of, a, think of it. If I'm always rejoicing, if I am, if we can pray without ceasing, if we're thankful in all circumstances, we don't quench the Spirit, we test everything, we hold on to the good, and we abstain from every evil. This is God's will for us. Right? These are the conditions of a heart that will produce, excuse me, the works of our sanctification. These are the things right here. Again, using the metaphorical, the metaphoric language, be in the light, not the dark. You want to keep your wicks burning, stay awake, stay sober. This is it right here. It's, it's very uh, plain. There's not much else to say about it, right? It's very simply put. But it is a heart condition, and it is what comes out of the love of Christ. It overflows, and that's what it looks like. So we need to be in His Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be in fellowship. We need to learn about Him. We need to know Him more. We need to grow in Him. If for no other reason than because He has extended grace to us so that our love may abound even greater. And it can then become those things that he talks about here. So that we may be in peace with one another. We don't repay evil with evil. We rejoice always. We're constantly praying. We pray without ceasing. Right? We hold on, hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. We can try it on our own, but if our internal condition isn't there, it won't happen. It can't happen. And this is our hope. This is why we do these things. Is because as Paul put in the first part of the chapter, right, that the day of the Lord is coming. That moment will happen when the Lord returns. And that is why we do these things. Right? We stay awake and we work on the condition of our heart so that we are ready when the Lord returns. If you want to, the next chapter uh, in Second Thessalonians. So, 
the first chapter in, in, in 2 Thessalonians, I want to get, Paul paints a picture of the day of the Lord, um, of the judgment of Christ coming. And I, I want to show it to you, and I want you to read it, and you'll read it in the next week in your Bible reading plan, which is great. Uh, if you haven't picked up a Bible reading plan, here's the plug for that. It's on the table back there. Get one of those. That way you're reading a week in advance of what's happening. But anyhow, if you're doing that next week, you'll read this. But I want you to see this is the hope. This is why we have hope right here. So if you start in verse 5 of the first chapter in the second book of Thessalonians, it says this. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers considers it just to repay affliction with uh, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes down on that day to be glorified with the saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. All right? This is our hope. That on that day, we will be with Christ. This is why we trim our wicks. This is why we get the oil. This is why we stay sober. Whatever metaphor you want. This is our sanctification process. So, regardless of what we suffer through now, I don't know each of you personally but I do know this. For those who are secure in Christ, the hope that we have and the reason that we push forward is because the day of the Lord is going to come. And on that day, we will be with Him. And on that day, all suffering will end. And that is the hope that we have. That is what pushes us. That is what drives us, is our hope that on that day, all suffering will end. And so, in summation, there are several takeaways from this. But I want to give you three takeaways. The first, and probably, uh, if I had to put an importance on it, probably the most, is that the Lord is going to come back. And He is going to come for His bride and take us. All our suffering will end when we are with Jesus. Secondly, 
is we must address the internal state. And once we do, the external will follow. So ask yourself, am I rejoicing always? Do I pray without ceasing? Am I giving thanks in all situations? Am I quenching the Spirit? Am I holding fast to what is good and I am abstaining from evil? We need to address that. And finally, in the end, our charge is to remain awake, to be of the light, to be sober-minded, to keep our candles burning until the Lord returns. And how we do that is very clear. Nothing else will matter on that day. There will be no more suffering. It will cease to exist. But our charge and our urgency is to stay awake, remain sober-minded, and obey the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we thank you um, for it. Uh, We just pray as we go out from here, Lord, that we would continue to seek after you. We would hold fast to what is good, that we would, Father, rejoice always. Uh, We just very grateful that you are our hope you're the author of our salvation. May we never lose sight of that. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.